Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, God gives Moses a new set of tablets with the Ten Commandments on them, and Moses sees more of God. Exodus 33 and 34. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. So I still don't have the written study finished and on the website for y'all to purchase, so I'll let you know whenever that's finished. On the last episode, God told Moses to go ahead and leave Mount Sinai and go towards the promised land. And he said he would send his angel ahead of them, but he himself couldn't go up with them because they were a stubborn people and he knew they would only turn against him. But Moses told him that he couldn't move forward if God didn't go with him. He needed to know that God favored him. He needed God to guide his ways. And so God agreed to do this. He said, yes, I do favor you and I do know you and I'm willing to do this thing for you. And that's where we left off last week because Moses asks one more thing, but it covers a lot more verses. And so I want to cover the last thing that Moses asks today. And we'll begin reading in Exodus 33, 18 and 19. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And so after God told Moses that his presence would go with him, then Moses asked for an even greater and more important sense of God's presence than he had seen up until that point. Every time Moses asks for something, it's just a little more and a little more, but God continues to give it to him. And so it's really obvious that it's very important to Moses that he know God is there with him and that he's pleased with him. But it also seems really important to God to express his favor to Moses also. He wants Moses to know how much he loves him and and he wants to reassure Moses. Now, if you'll remember, whenever God first came to Moses in the burning bush, Moses asked him what he should tell the people that God's name was. And God said, tell them that I am sent you. And the reason that he said that is because there is no one name for who God is. He is all-encompassing and he can be described by so many words that you can't express them in just a brief summary. But now, because Moses is asking to see more of God, God said that he would reveal a little bit more of who he is to Moses. And then if you notice when he says, I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. 
I think that he's explaining to Moses that he's giving these things that Moses is asking to him because he wants to, not because Moses had some way pressured him or coerced him or convinced him in some way that it's what he should do. God did it because he wanted to reveal more of himself to Moses and because everything that Moses has asked for was completely in line with all of God's own desires, his own will. And so what he's telling Moses is all the things that you're asking for are according to my own will. And so I will give those things to you. But it's not because I have to. It's not because you pressured me in any sort of way. I have grace on the people that I have grace and I have mercy on people that I have mercy. I will do what I will do. And so I want you to listen to a couple of verses. The first one is found in 1 John five fourteen. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So ask according to his will. That's the reason that Moses received what he asked for is because he was asking according to his will. And so neither can we force or coerce God into doing anything that he doesn't want to do. But if he does want to do it and we ask for it, then he's pleased to give that to us. He always wants us to ask because he desires to give good things to his children. Listen to what it says in James 4, 2 and 3. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and can't obtain. You fight and war, yet you don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. And so James is saying here, the reason that you don't have things a lot of times is because you don't even ask for them. God may desire to give them to you, but you're not even asking for them. And he wants us to ask because he wants that relationship with us. If God just gives us all of the things without us asking for them, then how do we know that they're from him, right? We may think that we got them on our own or we may just take for granted all of the things that we have and we don't rely on the relationship that we have with the Lord. But if we ask for something and then we receive it, we know that it came from him. So God always wants us to ask him for things. But then the rest of this verse tells us why we might not get them at times is because we ask so that we can spend them on our own pleasures, so that we can do things that we want to do with those things. We're not asking for the right reasons. And, you know, Moses could have asked God to make these people easier to deal with or bring them into the promised land without any kind of a fight or anything like that. But Moses didn't ask for that. That would have been definitely helpful for him. But what he asked for was something that he felt like he needed. He really, truly wanted. But it had to do with his relationship with God, with his reliance on God. If you remember last week, he asked, show me your way that I may know you and that I might find favor in your sight. And then he asked for God's presence to go with them. Those were things that pleased God. And Moses wasn't just asking for it so that he could spend it on his own pleasures, as that verse said. Listen to what it says in Matthew seven eleven: If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God desires to give good gifts to his children, and he wants us to ask for them. But he has the power to grant or refuse our petitions. 
We do have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but we do not have all of the power that God has. We do not know all things. We do not understand all things. We're not sinless. We ask things for selfish purposes sometimes, and sometimes we don't know what we're even asking for. We don't understand. And so God always has the power to refuse or grant our petitions. And I think that's what he was saying here. I will have grace on whom I'll have grace and I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. But I do want to do these things for you, Moses. And so I'm so glad you asked. I want you to see more of me. And I'm so glad that you want to see more of me. Okay, so let's read a couple more verses and see what else God has to say to Moses. This is verses 20 to 23. But God said, You can't see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it will be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So God agreed to pass before Moses and proclaim his name, but Moses couldn't see God's face. And it seems each time that God's presence is made known, it's veiled in some way. If you remember whenever God met with the elders and Aaron and his sons and Moses on the mountain and had that meal, they only saw his feet. It seems that the rest of him was veiled in the cloud. And that's what it's always like whenever God reveals himself to men on this earth, because he says that no man can fully see him and live. Not while we live here. So I want to read you what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 10 to 12. It says, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Paul is explaining this to the Corinthians, that everything that we see is like seeing in a mirror dimly. It's just a poor reflection. And we only know things in part, but one day we will know God the same way that he knows us now, completely and fully. And since Moses can't see God's face and he can't see him fully, Then God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to cover you with my hand until I pass by. And then whenever I pass by, I'm going to remove my hand and I'm going to allow you to see my back, but not my face. And, you know, that's kind of like seeing in a mirror dimly, right? Because he gets to see the outline of God. He gets to look at him from behind, seeing the whole person, but not in enough detail, not completely. You know, if you see someone that you know from behind, you can tell who they are. But also sometimes you'll see them and you'll think, oh, I think that looks like someone I know. But then when they turn around is when you can tell, okay, yes, it is or it isn't. And so you're not seeing them fully until they turn around and they're close to you. But you can tell some of who they are just by seeing their back. And so God says, I'll let you see an outline of me, but I will not let you see all of me. And 
He's also protecting Moses from his power, right? Because remember whenever the elders ate with him on the mountain, it said that they ate with him and God's wrath didn't kill them because normally God's presence would be too powerful for the people to handle here on this earth. I think if we saw all of God here on this earth, we wouldn't be able to comprehend it. It would be too much for us. And so God knows that we can't handle that power and glory and awesomeness here on this earth. And so he's protecting Moses from that by hiding him with his hand in the cleft of the rock. But he's allowing him to see the effects of his power as he walks away. So he gets a little glimpse of it, but just not so much that it would kill him, right? The only reason that the people were able to even sit in his presence and have that meal was because they had just made the covenant with God to keep the Ten Commandments and they had made the sacrifice and were covered in the blood of that sacrifice. And so they looked clean to God at that moment because they were covered in the sacrifices. And that's the same as it is with us, with Jesus. One day we'll be able to see God fully because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But right now we live on this earth and we can only see in a mirror dimly and in parch. And so that's what Moses was getting to do right now. He gets to see God's back and the effects of his power, but not fully and completely as he will one day in heaven. Okay, let's go ahead and keep reading in chapter 34, verses 1 through 4. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself to me on top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before the mountain." So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. So God told him to cut two more tablets, and he would write the Ten Commandments on them, and then he gave him the same command as he did before, that the other people and the animals were not to touch the mountain while he was meeting with Moses on the mountain. Now, I also want to read you Moses's account when he reminds the people of this in Deuteronomy before they go into the promised land. So this is Deuteronomy 10, 1 through 5. At that time, the Lord said to me, Hew for yourselves two tablets of stone like the first, and come to me on the mountain, and make yourself an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, and went up on the mountain, having the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark, which I had made. And there they are, just as the Lord had commanded me. So here, Moses is combining a few events because this has all already happened. And so he's just reminding the people of what happened. In Exodus, he's giving it to us in a more chronological order. And so God doesn't actually give him the instructions on how to build the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant until he's up here on the mountain this next time. So all Moses does this first time is just bring the tablets with him and God rewrites the Ten Commandments on them. And then whenever he gets down from the mountain, he makes the Ark of the Covenant and he puts these tablets in that. 
So in this passage here in Exodus 34, God is telling Moses whenever he brings the two tablets up, he'll rewrite the Ten Commandments on them and show him his glory at that time. And he says, I'll rewrite them because you broke them the first time. But also remember that the people broke the Ten Commandments too. So this is in essence God saying, all right, let's try this again, right? You broke these, the people broke them. Let's start over. I'm going to rewrite this. We're going to give it to the people and we're going to start over. And, you know, God knew that the people were going to continue to break his rules, right? He knew that there was no way for them to fully keep all of these commands that he had given to them. So that's why he gave us a new covenant in Jesus. This is Matthew 26, 28. This is Jesus right before he dies, whenever he has the last supper with his disciples. And he says, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So at this time, whenever the people broke the Ten Commandments, God renewed the covenant with them by giving them a new set of commands. And because we continue to break the covenant, God sent a new covenant to us in Jesus so that through him, we're not bound by this law anymore that only condemns us. We talked a little bit about that last week. Okay, so we're going to move on to the last part that we're going to talk about today and see whenever Moses gets to see God's glory. So this is Exodus 34, 5 through 10. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And God said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Okay, so when Moses got to the place in the rock where God could shield him, then God came down in the cloud. And when he passed by, it says that he proclaims his name, the Lord, but then he lists some of the characteristics revealing part of who he is to Moses. And As I said before, this is not an exhaustive list of God's attributes because Moses is only seeing him in part. But God showed Moses the part of him that Moses needed to see at that very moment. After the people had broken their covenant with God, Moses had begged for mercy. And so the first thing that God tells Moses is, I am merciful. You can count on me to have mercy. And then Moses has asked over and over and over again, please show me your favor towards me. And so the next thing God tells him is, I have overwhelming grace. You don't understand how much favor I have on you. And you know, after this golden calf incident where the people have betrayed God and broken his commands and shown that they are not faithful to him, 
he must have really been worried about their rebellion. So God is revealing to Moses also that he's faithful and he's loyal and he's true. And he's reassuring Moses that his love is abounding and it's steady. He will be slow to anger and he's going to forgive the people when they turn away. These are all the things that Moses needed to know, right? He needed to know that even though the people are rebellious and unfaithful, God is not. God will continue to be faithful and he will continue to love his people and he will continue to be steady when they flip back and forth between obedience and rebellion. And he also is letting Moses know, you know, I'm going to be slow to anger because I know that it's going to take a lot of patience with these people. I already understand that they're rebellious. And so I'm going to be slow to anger. These are the things that Moses needed to know. Now, he also did tell Moses, you know, I don't let the guilty go unpunished. He wanted the people to continue to have a healthy fear of him and a fear of their sin. But that was a small part of what Moses needed to know of him at the moment. And so he says, you know, in spite of all of these other things that I just told you that I know you need to know, I do have to say, you know, I will punish the guilty, but you already know that. So I'm not going to dwell on that part. I'm telling you the other things about me that you need to know. And by revealing himself to Moses in this way and by rewriting the Ten Commandments, God was making sure that Moses knew that his covenant couldn't be permanently broken. He was keeping his end of the bargain. He always would. That's why he sent Jesus for us, because he knew that we couldn't do this on our own. We can't keep our end of the bargain, but he can. He can bring us into a permanent presence with him, and we don't have ability to keep all of his laws. And so he's trying to reveal to Moses right here all of who he is and let him know, my covenant hasn't changed. And even whenever Moses bows down to him and worships him and says, you know, I'm so glad, basically, that you know that we are a stubborn people and that you're going to stay with us. And God says, yes, I made a covenant and I'm making one with you now that I will do marvelous things with you and your people. Awesome things that nobody else has ever seen. This is what Moses needed to hear, right? This is what he needed to know. And so while we're living on this earth, we're never going to fully see God. But just like he did for Moses, he'll show us the parts of him that we need to see whenever we need to see it. If we need to know his compassion and his understanding, then he's going to reveal that to us. If we need a little reverence for him, then he's going to remind us of his authority. If we have doubt, then he's going to exhibit his power in our lives. You know, if we fall short, then he's going to express his grace and his mercy. Anything that we need to see in him, he will reveal himself to us if we will just ask, just like Moses did. I need to see you, God. I need to know you. I need to know your ways. God wants us to know him more. And so he will reveal whatever we need to see of him at the moment that we need to see it, just like he did for Moses, if we'll just ask. He loves his children and he desires to give good gifts to us. He wants us to know him more. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 2, 1 through 9. This is Solomon talking to his son and he says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, If you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, 
then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. So he's telling his son, if you seek for wisdom and discernment and understanding and you look to God, God gives knowledge and wisdom and understanding to the people that are righteous, that are looking for it. And we will know and understand justice and equity and the right path and the ways of God if we will just ask for him ask him and seek after those things. So we need to ask God to reveal himself to us. We also need to read his word. Just in this passage, God tells us that he has overwhelming favor, that he has patience and goodness and faithfulness and steadfast love. That's just in this passage. So the more scripture that we read, then the more that we will see God and the more that we will know God. If we want him to reveal himself to us further, then we can look in the scriptures for who he is. Listen to what it says in Second Chronicles fifteen twelve. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. That's what we're supposed to do. Make a covenant to seek God with all our heart and with all our soul. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to know him more. He wants us to ask him to reveal himself to us. And he wants us to seek to know more of him by reading his word. So take comfort in who God is and who he revealed himself to be in this passage. And then ask God to reveal himself to you in whatever way you need to know him more today. Okay, so we are going to skip the next several verses in Exodus 34 because it's a lot of different things that God's telling them to observe and do whenever they get into the promised land. And we're going to go over those verses in a totally different study. And so we're going to skip over to Exodus 34, 29 and see what happens when Moses comes down from the mountain. It says, Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with God. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and he would speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went back in to speak with God. So because Moses had seen the glory of the Lord, his face was shining with the light of God's glory. And the people had been so afraid of God's awesome glory and God's power ever since God had delivered his Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. But they had elected Moses to be their mediator, and that meant he had to deliver the message to them. And so he put a veil over his face as he talked with the people, and then he removed the veil when he spoke with the Lord. Now, the lesson to us in this passage is that 
we too should shine the light of God to the world around us whenever we spend time with him, right? When we spend time with God, then we should reflect his glory to the rest of the world. And so I want to read you a couple of verses about shining God's light to the world. The first one is Matthew 5, 16, and it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So our good works are supposed to point people to God so that they can glorify him. That's the purpose. And then Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So we can shine as lights in the world, even among the other people that don't believe because we have Jesus, because we are God's children. Now, that is the end of Exodus. That's all we're going to read in Exodus. Again, the parts that we skipped in Exodus, we're going to do in a different study. But I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 3, because in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is explaining to the Corinthians the difference between the glory that Moses experienced when he was given the law and the glory that comes with the Holy Spirit that we receive. And so I want you to listen to this whole chapter. We're going to read the whole chapter. The first part of it doesn't have much to do with it, but I want to go ahead and read the entire chapter so that we can have a little bit of context. And I'll stop at the first few verses and explain a little bit what it's saying. The way this is written is difficult. It's not an easy narrative to read. So we have to break it down a bit. But it's worth hearing to apply to our lives the difference in the glory and the veil now. So this is Second Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. So what Paul's asking is, do we need like a letter of recommendation or something, some way to prove that we are the ministers of God? And he said, no, we don't need that because you are that. Your lives are our recommendation. Your changed lives reflect that our ministry is legit, right? And then he goes on in verse four and he says, and we have such trust through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So he said, yeah, I know that we're not sufficient ministers of ourselves, but we've been made sufficient by God, who's given us this word to speak to you. And this isn't the same as the letters of the law that brought death, but the words of the spirit, they bring life. And so he continues to now compare the words of the law and this new glory that comes with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read the rest of the chapter beginning in verse 7. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel couldn't look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. 
How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels it. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel would not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what this is saying is that if the law that brought with it condemnation also had glory with it, then how much more glorious is the spirit that we receive? And if that law of condemnation carried with it death and still had glory, then how much more will the glory be of the ministry of righteousness? And then he talks about how the glory that came with the law eventually came to an end because the glory of the Spirit superseded it, right? The glory that the law brought also brought with it death. And so that glory wasn't lasting. And God replaced it with a new glorious gift to us through his Spirit. And that glory is permanent. It does not pass away. And so Moses couldn't really be too confident in his ministry because he knew that what he was preaching could never be realized. But we can be confident and approach God without a veil because we have confidence in the one that covers us in his blood, right? In Jesus. And you know, it says here that Moses had to wear this veil so that the people couldn't see the glory as it faded because the longer that Moses was away from God's presence, the less glory he reflected. And then it goes on to kind of explain that this veil was really just a representation of how hard their minds were. There was a barrier between them and the Lord. The commandments never really seemed to reach their hearts. And so those that trust in the law still don't see the full glory of God because only Jesus can take that veil away. Only when a person turns to God is the veil over their hearts removed. We get to remove the veil whenever we look at God because we have the covering of Jesus. Just as when Moses would turn to God, he would take the veil off. That's the way it is for us. When we turn to the Lord, then Jesus removes that veil for us. And then we're able to experience the freedom that's found in the presence of the Spirit, right? Because through Jesus's death, we're free from the condemnation that the law brings. And we're also free from the burden of trying to keep that law that we're never going to be able to keep. So we don't have a barrier when we look at the glory of God. Because the moment that we turn to him, then he begins to transform us more into his image. 
And as he increases the glory within us, then we're progressively being perfected until the day that it's fully realized in heaven and we experience God's glory completely, right? That's what sanctification is. We're instantaneously saved at the moment that we turn to the Lord, but then that is when the transformation begins to take place. And then progressively, the Lord changes us by the time that we spend with Him. And so we have to let go of the burden of trying to keep the law and just turn to God so that He can remove that veil from our hearts. And then let his spirit begin to perfect us so that we can shine his light into the world, right? We want to be like Moses. We don't want to be like the people that have a veil over our hearts. We want to be like Moses where we turn to God and then his glory permeates us and then we reflect it to the rest of the world. And so that happens when we spend time with him. The more time that we spend in his presence, the brighter our light's going to shine. But like Moses, the longer it's been since we've spent any time with him, the more his glory is going to fade in us and in our lives. And so others aren't going to see that the longer it's been since we've spent time with God. So we have to spend time with the Father after the veil's been removed so that we can shine His glory to the rest of the world. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want and need his sanctification. It doesn't end with the salvation. It doesn't end with us turning to God. That's just the beginning. And if you notice at the end of this, it says, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So we are going to be transformed here on this earth. Right now we experience a small amount of his glory, but we're going to move from this glory to a far exceedingly better glory in heaven one day. And right now we are just preparing our hearts to be in his presence continually by spending more and more time with him here. So that's all we're going to do today. We're going to skip Leviticus because we're going to go and do that in another study because I want to continue with the narrative of what happened to the people once they left Mount Sinai. And so we're going to begin in Numbers next week. This week, I just want you to carry with you the glory of the Lord. All that God revealed about himself to Moses And all that he can reveal to you today about himself that you may need to see and meditate on that. Meditate on who he is. Worship him for who he is and let go of the burden of trying to follow the law and let Jesus remove that veil from your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to sanctify you. Spend time with God so that his glory will be reflected in your life to the rest of the world. That's the encouragement for us this week. And then we'll begin in numbers next week. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Give me a five-star review wherever you're listening. You can email me if you'd rather. My email address is Courtney at livethroughjesus.com. Thanks and have a good day.